Hello. Thank you for listening to our podcast today. We hope that you will be encouraged and it builds your faith. Thanks for listening. Bless the name of the Lord. Thank you guys so much. Man, oh man, were they good today. Were they not good today? Amen. Praise God. Well, if you have your copy of God's Word, I'm going to want you to go to two places this morning. And uh, this morning is just not (coughs) any other Sunday. And uh, this morning, I believe that God is going to have me share what our mission for 2020 is going to be. And uh, this is not just something that came to me uh, uh, last week or the week before. This is something that the Lord began to speak to me back in September. And I'm going to read these two passages of scripture to you, and then I'm going to get right into what the Lord has given me. And I'm going to try to get through it this morning and try to get through it all. And in the next couple of weeks, I'm going to begin to break down. I'm giving you an outline this morning, and then I'm going to begin to break down what the Lord has given us over the next couple of weeks. And what the Lord has spoken to me is that in 2020, He wants us to live on mission. And uh, you're going to say, well, what is that? Well, I'm about to tell you here in just a minute. But in the book of Isaiah chapter 37, I want to read verses, a passage of scripture to you. It's the first passage of scripture the Lord gave me a few months ago as I was praying. And uh, uh, Isaiah chapter 37 and verse 31, and uh, there's a few verses there. You must understand the context of this is that the children of Israel are being led out of captivity. They're able to return home. God, again, is beginning to do a new thing in the children of Israel. And a new promise. It's a new day for them. God gives this promise to Hezekiah, uh, who is king at the time. And uh, he begins to speak to him. And this is what he says in verse 31. And he says, And the remnant who have escaped the house of Judah shall again take root downward and bear fruit upward. Let me read that again because you've got to get that. And the remnant who have escaped the house of Judah shall again take root downward and bear fruit upward. For out of Jerusalem shall a remnant those who have escaped from Mount Zion And the zeal of the Lord of hosts will do this. How many know that anything that is done has to be done by God? What's God's promise is this. God is telling the children of Israel, beginning in verse 30, this shall be a sign to you. He says, I want you to sow into the land. When you sow the first year, you'll have a small harvest. The next year, you'll have a greater harvest. And in the third year, you will be restored and returned back again. But you must keep sowing. You must keep sowing. And he says those who will continue to sow, he says that out of you there will be a remnant who came out of captivity. Out of that captivity there will be those who begin, uh, who escape the house of Judah and shall again take root downward and bear fruit upward. Let me just tell you this. In order for us as a church to ever bear fruit upward, we must take root downward. Y'all hear what I'm saying? He is giving them a promise, but it's not just doesn't stop there. It said this 
can only be done by the zeal and the hand of the Lord. And he says that when you do this, he goes on to say that, that the Assyrians who, who, who want to come and overcome them and take them, he said, and he shall come into this city. He shall not come into this city, nor shoot or arrow be there, nor come before it with shield or build a siege amount against it. By the way that he came shall be the same way he returns. And he shall not come into this city, says the Lord. For I will defend this city to save it for my name's sake and my servant David's name's sake. In other words, he's saying that again he's going to replant the children of Israel. They are going to begin to root themselves downward. And God is going to cause them to be fruitful outward. And upward. And the truth is we must be rooted in order for God to bring fruit into our lives. If you would turn with me over to the book of 2 Kings chapter 2. The book of 2 Kings chapter 2. This is the story of Elisha. Elisha is a protege of Elijah who had been called up to heaven. And, and Elisha left his mantle, a double portion for Elisha. Elisha had received the mantle of Elijah. And as you read chapter 2, in the beginning of chapter 2, you see this persistence in Elijah's, Elisha's life. Everywhere that Elijah went, Elisha followed him. Matter of fact, Elisha tried to leave him in Gilgal, and he wouldn't stay. He tried to leave him in Bethel, and he wouldn't stay. He tried to leave him in Jericho, and he wouldn't stay. He tried to leave him at the banks of the Jordan when he crossed over, and he wouldn't stay. Because Elisha knew that, he, that there was something that Elijah had that he needed. And so the Bible says that when Elisha, Elijah was caught up, the mantle of Elijah fell upon Elisha, and he received a double portion and he began, and the first thing he did when he crossed the Jordan, you remember he took Elijah's coat and he hit the, the, the Jordan River and said, where is the God of Elijah? And the water parted, and Elisha went across. And as soon as he came across, he was met with 50 men, 50 men that were sons of the prophet that were out of Jericho. And the Bible said they came to him and they said, Elisha, can you come and bring healing to our city? The water is contaminated and death is taking place in the city of Jericho. He said, can you come and heal it? These were sons of the prophets. These were men of God. These were men who were supposed to be serving God, but yet they could do nothing about the situation in Jericho. And Elisha came into the city. The Bible said the city was barren. Verse 19, then the men of the city said to Elisha, Please notice the situation of this city. The situation of the city looks pleasant on the outside. As my Lord sees, but the water is bad and the ground is barren. In other words, there, the water couldn't even be poured on the crops. The crops couldn't grow because the water was contaminated. The actual translation means that there were so many miscarriages. So many miscarriages. The water was so contaminated, it was causing diseases. It was a city that looked good on the outside, but on the inside, there was barrenness, there was death, 
And there was brokenness and unfruitfulness. How many know a city can look good on the outside, but when you begin to look on the inside, you realize that, that God has to move on that city or that city might die. And so Elijah came in, and Elisha came in, and the Bible said he took salt and went to the water source, and he healed it. As I began to think about this, and I thought about this, I thought, Elijah became rooted downward, but he grew upward. He became rooted downward because he was willing to follow Elijah and be a disciple of Elisha. He was willing to root himself to forsake all. He did twice the miracles of Elijah. He chose to live life on mission. He chose to live life. He chose to be a disciple and was willing to be rooted downward so that God could grow him upward. And we have to understand this morning that in 2020, to live on mission, we have to be willing to be rooted downward so that God can grow us upward. Isaiah 37, when when, when you become rooted and you begin to sow. I love what the message said. The message says of Isaiah 37, it says, what left the people of Judah will, will put down roots and make a new start, and God's people will get moving again. God's people will get moving again. And Mount Zion survivors will take hold again. The zeal of God will do this. In other words... God is asking us to live on mission. You know, the devil's worst nightmare is the fact that there may be those who become awakened to their destiny and purpose and begin to walk in it. That's the devil's worst nightmare this morning. Is that this church becomes awakened and you become awakened to your destiny and begin to walk in the midst of that destiny that God has called you to. I want to tell you that Back in September, back in September, the Lord began to deal with me about 2020. The Lord began to deal in my heart, and I'll just be honest with you, in August, I got up before you, and I was very transparent. I told you that throughout the year that I'd been struggling with depression. It was difficult for me. I would sit for hours in a chair and stare, my wife will tell you, and I would stare. There was just, I don't know what it was. I just know that I was struggling. And I got up and I shared that with you. I shared with you the fact that God needed to move and I desired that God would do a fresh touch in my life. It affected my health. It affected the way that I was sleeping. It affected the way that I was relating. And I thought, God, I don't know how much more of this that I personally can take. And you say, Pastor, you mean you are human? I'm human. And I was transparent. But what began to happen in that, in that moment, God began to reassure me. As he would reassure assure you that we are not alone. That we don't have to walk through things alone. In August, I went to the doctor and my A1C was 11 I was almost 300 pounds. And the Spirit of God began to speak to me and said, if you want to live and not die, you've got to change a lot of things in your life. And I knew before I could ever do anything spiritually, I had to begin to do some things physically. 
and I just begin to take care of my health, pay more attention to what I ate and what I did, begin to try to sleep better, and begin to try to be positive and be in the Word every day. It drove me to a life of greater prayer. And what happened was in September as I was sitting at home, the Spirit of the Lord spoke to me. This is the craziest thing. The Spirit of the Lord spoke to me. Two years earlier, Ron Greaves gave me a book by Dan Betzer. Dan Betzer is the pastor of First Assembly of God down in Fort Myers, Florida. He gave me a book by Dan Betzer. And the name of the book is Why, uh, uh, Why Some Churches Are Blessed. And two years ago, I read through it, and I, I, I thumbed through some things. I marked some things. But as I was sitting there in September, the Spirit of the Lord spoke to me and said, I want you to get that book, and I want you to read it again. As I began to read that book in September, God began to show me there was a testimony that Dan Betzer had. He said in 1985, God had made him head of a radio station program that was called Revival Time. He began to talk about mentors in his life, and he mentioned uh, C.W. Uh, uh, Ward, who really was my pastor's pastor. And he began to talk about Seville Phillips and began to talk about guys like Leonard Ravenhill that spoke into his life. But he managed a radio station. He took it over for the Assemblies of God, this radio re revival time. And, and he said that while he was there, he was praying that God would give him a church. And he said that a church called, that, and, and, and it was a great church, but the Lord told him not to go there. If you go there, I will not go with you. They were blessed. They were 2,500 strong. They were, they were financially secure. They were strong. And he said, if you go there, I will not bless you. He began praying, and all of a sudden another church called him in Fort Myers. He said, I didn't want to go to Fort Myers. I wasn't going to go there. And he had turned them down. Long story short, a missionary called him and said, Brother Betzer, we really believe that you need to be in Fort Myers. He said, I don't believe that God wants me in Fort Myers. He said, how can you make a decision when you haven't even prayed about it? <laughs> That's what he said in his book. And he said, I said to myself, I hadn't prayed about it. And he said, me and my wife, we went in and we began to pray about Fort Myers, Florida. And God spoke to me and said, go to Fort Myers, Florida. I didn't want to go to Fort Myers, Florida. He said when he got there, he said he got to Fort Myers and he said that, that they had financial trouble. They were struggling at one time that they ran 1,400 as a church. When he got there, it was much less and he began to talk about his first few years there. His first, year, first few years there, when he got there, they were all praising him. But when he got there, he said that after one year, 400 people left the church. <laughs> he said, I had witches attack me, blew my car up in the driveway and set it on fire. He said, I had opposition, and I had people that would come against me, and this went on for four and five years. He said, I came to the place where I told God, God, I could not take no more. And he said he was friends with a man by the name of Leonard Ravenhill. I don't know if you know who Leonard Ravenhill is. Leonard Ravenhill is a revivalist, and he's wrote some of the greatest books that have ever been written. 
He wrote a book called Why Revival Tarries, and Sodom had no Bible. He said he began to call Leonard Ravenhill. He wrote him a letter and began to complain to him all that was happening in his life, all the death threats, all the problems, all the, all the, the trouble, all these things and all the woes, hoping that maybe Ravenhill would have a word of sympathy to him and a word of sympathy that would launch him back into to desire for ministry again. And he said he wrote the letter, and he got a letter back from Leonard Ravenhill, and this is what Leonard Ravenhill wrote. I'm reading it from his book. He said, Dear Dan, poor Dan, quite possibly nobody in the history of Christianity has ever suffered as much as you have. Martha and I were just discussing you this morning at breakfast about what a privilege it is for us to know such a martyr of your stature. Now, Dan, don't ever write a letter to me like that again. He said that was a moment that God kicked me in the britches. Sometimes we need to be shaken out of our situation. And I believe that God, God wants to shake us into a place and shake us into a place. He said, I got to the place, and he said, I began to pray, and I began to ask God these things, and I began to ask God to show me. And he said, there were three things that God showed me. The questions were, God was, what in the world am I trying to do? Number two, how in the world do you, do you propose for me to do it? And why in the world do I even bother? He said that as he began to answer those questions as the purpose of his church, he said the, the Lord began to speak to him. When he asked the question, where, why in the world do I even bother, God took him to the scripture of 1 Corinthians 3, 9 through 15. It says, for we are God's fellow worshipers, and we are God's field. You are God's building according to the, to the grace of God, which, which was given to me as a wise master builder. I have laid foundation and another built on it. But let each one take heed to how he builds it. For no other foundation can anyone lay than that which is laid, which is Jesus Christ. Now if anyone builds on the foundation with gold, silver, or precious stone, wood, hay, or straw, each work will become clear. For the day will declare it, because it will be revealed by fire. And fire will test each man's work of what sort it is. If anyone's work which has been built endures, he will receive a reward. And if anyone's work is burned, he will suffer loss. But he himself will be saved, yet as though it would be by fire. The question is, what are we doing as a church? The question is, what has God asked us to do? The question is, why do we bother this morning? I'll tell you why we bother. We bother because we have to build upon the foundation which was laid by Christ. Because one day there is a reward that is laid up for those who are willing to build and willing to do what God has asked them to do. All of our work will be tried by fire. All of our work will be tested one day. We will stand before God and give an account for the work in which we are done and the accountability to one another for what we do for God. And God began to stir me and began to show me that God has always had a place for his people. In the Old Testament, God has always had a place for his people. 
Adam and Eve, he put them in a garden and put them there to live together forever. It was a place of pleasure. Eden means pleasure. And it was there. God had a place. When Adam fell, God began uh, to touch man again, and man began to rebel against God and sin, and one day he had to destroy the earth by flood. But even though he was destroying the earth by flood, God had a place, and it was in an ark. After they came out of the ark, God decided that he wanted to build a nation, a nation, a nation that would usher in the coming of the Messiah. And he called uh, uh, Abraham in Genesis 12, and he said, I will bless the earth through, through you. And God had a place for this nation, and he said, I want to lead you into the land of Canaan. Later on, all of Abraham's descendants went down into Egypt, and God led them into the place, the good land of Goshen. God carved out a place for them, and he called it Goshen, which means draw near. Y'all ever heard the phrase, good land of Goshen? God had a place. In the Old Testament, when they came out of Egypt, when God delivered them and brought them out of Egypt and brought them into a place, God had a place for them. It was a tabernacle. It moved with them. It was where God was. It's where he met them. So in the Old Testament, God always had a place, and we come to the New Testament, and God had a temple, and Israel would worship there, and there they would worship, and, the, and they would, their descendants, they would worship six times a year, they would come to this temple, Jesus would come there. God had a place for his people. In the Old Testament, God had a temple for his people. Now we come to the New Testament, and God has a place. God has a place has a people as his temple. In the Old Testament, God had a temple for his people, but in the New Testament, God has a people as his temple. In other words, what's Paul say about you? He says this, you are the temple of the Holy Spirit. You are now the temple of God. God now dwells in you. You used to go down to the Holy of Holies and to the tabernacle and to the temple, and, and, and God said, I'll, I'll cause my glory to meet you there. And as you go into the Holy of Holies, the Ark of the Covenant will be there. My glory will be there. The Word of God which was in the Ark would be there. Jeremiah prophesied that I am, I, I, I am looking to enter into a new covenant with this people. And it will be not it'll be written, it'll not be written on stone, but it'll be written on their hearts. God's holy place now is his presence that is in you. You are that place this morning. You are the temple of God. You are where God dwells. You are where God, you are the church. You are the church of Jesus Christ. And the presence of God now dwells in you. And we have gathered together in this place. This is, a, this is a, his church among his church. And this is where God dwells, because God dwells in you now. God doesn't dwell in a temple or in a box, but God is in you. And because God's in you, God can come and be here among us this morning. Acts chapter 2, the Bible says this. It says, and when the day of Pentecost had come, they had all gathered together in one place and one accord. 
In other words, God had gathered them together in one place and one accord. Jesus told his disciples, I want you to go into Jerusalem and wait there. I will send a comforter. I will empower you. I will send power among you. And it said when the day of Pentecost had come, it said that in that day they were in one accord and in one place. Y'all hear what I'm saying? One accord and in one place. I don't believe when they arrived they were in one accord and in one place. I believe there was some dissension among them. How do we know that? Because we know that, that Peter and we know that, 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 that John had disagreements. We know there were those that, were, that, that, that had, had felt strongly about certain things and they had gathered together. But over the course of those days as they waited for the power of the Holy Spirit to come upon them, they had to work out their differences. And the moment they came into one place, and the moment they came into one accord, now this was the day of Pentecost. And I can tell you that what happened next could never have happened until first they were in one accord and in one place. Woo! I'm here to tell you that what God wants to do in 2020 is He wants to bring this house into one accord and in one place. He wants to bring unity in this house. He wants to gather us all together. Why? We are the church. You are the church. You are the ecclesia. You're the, you carry the presence of God. What can God do when he brings a body together? Ephesians 4 tells us there is one body, one spirit. And just as you have been called into one hope of your calling, there's one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God who is father of them all. God has brought it into this place, and I said all of that to say this this morning. I stand this morning to share with you what I believe God is asking us to do in 2020. And I believe that in order to do it, we have to be in one place and one body and one mindset. We have to live on mission. To live on mission, it means we have to reach everybody by who's the sound of our voice to the gospel of Jesus Christ. We have to teach every disciple and teach them according to the Word of God. We have to send those that are called. And how do we do that? Well, there's several ways we do that. Matter of fact, the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus said this. He said, you are salt and you are lights. Chapter 4, he tells them, I will make you fishers of men. And one of the ways that we have to disciple and reach all and live on mission is that we live our lives in salt and light. And we'll talk about that later. But, but I believe this. I believe God is calling us to live on mission in 2020. Now what happens is, is that most people, most churches are built their lives around certain things. Matter of fact, there's usually four things that people build their lives and church around. And I'm going to give them to you quickly because I have to lay this foundation. Sometimes people build their lives around church based on a personality. We can't build our lives on personality. We can't build our church lives on personality. Sometimes we, we build our church lives on personalities. And what happens is when those personalities die, we die. What God wants us to do is not build a church on personality or on, 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 on persona, but he wants us to build a church on legacy. You build a church on legacy. Sometimes people will build their lives around people. 
those few people who we surround our lives with, the class of people, we, our group of people whom we uh, uh, extend our lives around or around or, and, and, and become around. And a lot of times what happens is we, we surround ourselves with people who are like-minded in our age or preference. And we build our lives on those people. And what happens is that's very unstable because when those people fail us or when those people move on, then our lives become very unstable. And we can't build our lives on people. We have to build our lives on generational unity. We can't isolate ourselves in the groups and the people. We have to learn to love every generation and have generational unity in the body. We, some people will build their church life around programs and tradition. When I think of this, I think of, I cannot help but think of Tevi. Y'all know who Tevi is? Tevi is on, the father on Fiddler on the Roof. And then it opens this show up. If you've ever seen Fiddler on the Roof, Tevi is like, tradition, tradition, tradition. It's all about tradition. I'm the papa, the mama, the sons and the daughters. None of y'all ever seen Fiddler on the Roof? It's Tevi. Tevi said it like this. He said it's tradition, tradition. Everything's about tradition. The tradition of our lives. Let me tell you, let me tell you where our tradition comes from, he says. And in the middle of the song, he says, let me tell you where our tradition comes from. And he says, oh, I don't know. <laughs> And he says, tradition is unstable as a fiddler on a roof. And I'd have to say that he's right about that. Tradition's a good thing. Tradition has its place. Tradition establishes. But vision leads. A church should not just have programs and tradition, but a church should have vision. Tradition holds us back, but vision moves us forward. The Pharisees came to to uh, Jesus, and they said, why do your disciples, do, why don't your disciples wash their hands according to the ceremonial law of the elders? And Jesus looked at them, and he said this, he said, why do you guys not, why do you guys put the traditions of men over the commandments of God? Tradition, tradition, and then place. Sometimes people build their lives based upon place or position. And, and as the church or a ministry, their identity is caught up in what they do, not who they are in Christ. So we have to be careful of what we build our lives on and what we build church on. We have to be careful that we build our lives on Christ and, and Jesus and, and righteousness and purity and the things that make a church stand out and distinct among what it is. In other words, we have to live on mission. I can tell you this is just the building. You all know that, right? This is just the building. But you are the church. I said you are the church. And some people will build their lives upon a place or upon a situation. Some people build their lives based upon the position that they have. I've had, listen, let's just be honest. I've had people leave this church because I didn't give them position. Okay. You can't build your life on getting a position. You have to build your life on Christ. 
You have to build your life on your own identity, on the identity that Christ would have you be. And that leads me to this. And I want to introduce to you this morning Mr. and Mrs. River Valley as they come through the door on Sunday morning. Mr. and, River, Mr. and Mrs. River Valley has come through the door this morning and they've come here to church for the first time. As they come through the doors of this church, what is it that we want Mr. and Mrs. River Valley to know? And what is it we want to produce? And what is it that we want to see when Mr. and Mrs. River Valley comes into this house? What is it as a body that we want to produce? And what do we want to do? Mr. and Mrs. River Valley walks through that door. What do we want them to be? What do we want them to strive for? And no matter who they are, or what economics group they come from, or, or whether it's a young adult, or a single, or an older, or a widow, or a widower, or whatever it is, what are we trying to produce as a church? Where do we want to go? Where do we want to be? What do we want to do as a body? And in 2020, I believe the Lord began to speak to me about what living on mission produces in the lives of people who live on mission. What do we want to produce? Well, I'm just going to give them to you. I'm going to give you three of them, then I'm going to talk about them. First of all, living on mission produces this, committed people who are committed to God. Living on mission, what do we want to produce? We, in this church, we want to produce people that are committed to God, that are committed to the work of God, that are committed to the things of God that are committed to, to the things that God wants them to be committed to. Number two, we want people who are competent disciples. Listen to what I'm saying. We want competent disciples. We want competent Christians. We want Christians who are willing to be discipled. And once they're discipled, they're competent in how they share the gospel and live their lives. And thirdly, we want those who are productive and creative on mission. In other words, we don't just want to teach people to worship here, but we want to teach people that when they're out there, God can give them a strategy to win their job, to win their home, to win their family, to win their neighborhood, to win their community. You hear what I'm saying? We want a Mr. and Mrs. River Valley to become committed to God. We want Mr. and Mrs. River Valley to come to the place to where, to where they are people who are competent in Christianity. We want them to be creative and productive in where they are. And how do they do that? They do that by living on mission. What does living on mission mean? What does that mean? And I'm going to share that with you. But number one, committed people. People who are committed to God. How do you do that? Can I, can I ask you this? Is anybody tired of the revolving door that's going on in the church? Is anybody tired of the revolving door at this church? Okay, a few of you. Some of you are okay with it. I'm not okay with it. Are you saddened by the revolving door? People who come in and they're here for a while, they get a touch from God, but they never connect and they go right out that door, never connecting or committing to God. Is anybody? Does anybody want to see God begin to build a church that produces committed people? 
Does anybody want to be a church that has the ability to produce people that are committed to God? They're just not weekenders. They're just not people who come for a couple months and they come and they get touched and all of a sudden the first trial or first difficulty pulls them out of the house of God and we don't care. We don't go after them. We don't follow them. Okay. Committed to God to love Him with all their heart and soul, mind and strength. I believe there are certain values that we have to have in order to produce to produce committed people. I think that we have to institute into this body there are a few values that we have to adopt and hold on to if we ever want people to be committed here. To be committed to God and to love God and to live on mission in 2020. We have to decide to build committed people. And we have to do that. How do we do that? How do we, how do we, how do we get to the place to where we reach all and we teach the disciple and we send the called? How do we get to the place to where? What are the values? And you say, well, what are values? Well, I'm glad you asked. I knew I'd have to give a definition. It's the principles and standards of, beha of behavior that are held high in opinion of. They are timeless, they're enduring, and they are intrinsic in importance. In other words, values have to be something that are unmovable. There's something that are not optional. There's something that has to be a part. They're timeless. They are enduring. They last the standard of time. And in order to build committed people, we first have to learn that there are certain values we have to have. And I'm going to share with you five values that we have to have in order to build committed people. Number one, the first value that we have to have in order to live on mission in 2020 and build committed people is number one, we have to have truth with transformation. I don't, I don't know anything in life that will transform the heart more than this book. I don't think there's a, I don't think there's a classic out there. I don't think there's anything you can read. I don't think there's anyone you can talk to. But I believe that the only thing that can transform a person's life is this book. I believe the truth of this book can transform a man or a woman's life. And we have to believe that the value that we have to have in order to produce committed people is we have to preach truth with transformation. Jesus said it like this. He proclaimed this. He said, thy word is truth. This is the manual in which God it wants to speak to his people. This has to be our manual. This has to be the guidebook. This has to be what leads us and guides us. That's why you need to be in church and worship. That's why you need to be in a life group. That's why you need to be in Bible study. That's why you need to have daily, daily reading. Without truth, we're living in a day without truth and Christians are becoming more cultural than they are anything else. Let, let me tell you what, what a cultural Christian is. A cultural Christian is a Christian who lives by the culture rather than conviction. These cultural Christians are not atheists, they're not agnostics. Cultural Christians admire Jesus, but they don't think he's really needed in their life. They're the kind of Christians that say, Jesus, take the wheel when I'm in crisis. Or call on him. In other words, 
Our desire is not to have people that sit in this church that knows Christian lingo, but people that sit in this church that are committed to God and people who know truth. To produce committed people, we have to have truth without transformation. With transformation, two, we have to have relationships with transparency. And it's amazing. Because one of the great things about this body is when people come in and they see our greeters, they love the smiles and the hugs and the friendliness. And I'm sure people appreciate the visitors' gifts. And all those things are nice and love and hugs and all those things are important. But do you understand, we have to go deeper when it comes to relationships. In other words, I have to be able to be me and you have to be able to be you without fear of judgment, but says, I want to do life with you no matter, no matter, no matter what, I'm going to stand with you, walk with you. I want to do life with you. So our needs can be brought to the surface and those things which we struggle with, we can be transparent with in relationship. And we have to have relationships with transparency. We have to be willing to trust each other with our hearts and with our pains and with our struggles and with those things. That's what helps build committed Christians. It's when we live life with transparency, knowing that I have a safe place at River Valley. I can go there, and what I struggle with can be a place I can find healing. And I don't have to isolate myself. But there will be people there who will be willing to carry me through whatever trial I am walking with because I have relationship with people. That builds committed people. Number three, generosity with joy. To build committed people, we have to do generosity with joy. You say, well, what is that? What that is this morning is our time and our talent and our treasure. You talk about our talents and gifts. We talk about God has given each of us gifts. Ephesians chapter 4 talks that God has given measures of gifts to every man. That we all have been given our gifts. But in order to be generous, we have to be generous with our time for the kingdom and generous with our giftings to God. In other words, we have to come to the place to where we use our gift in the body of Christ. Release our gift into the body. Let me say this, if, you, if you're not using your gift in this body, there's a part of this body that is lacking. If you're not active, there's a part of this body that's lacking. If you haven't given your time or spent time into the kingdom of God or in this body, then, there's, then, there's, then the kingdom is lacking. The generosity of it is this, is that God through our generosity of our giving, that through our time and through our talent, that we do it with joy. We give it to the Lord with joy. We love serving. We love giving our time. And we give generously. We don't give begrudgingly. We're willing to sow into, we're willing to sow into our city. And sow, and we're willing to meet needs of our, of our city and meet needs of people that are around us. And to do it with great generosity and not do it with begrudginglessness or as if God can't provide any more for us. My brother, when we were little one time, he had a Baby Ruth candy bar. I love Baby Ruth's. And he had this Baby Ruth candy bar. We all had one and got one. I ate mine. My brother ate his. And my sister ate hers. And my brother took his and put it in a shoebox. 
with his baseball cards. And I thought, why is he not eating that baby Ruth candy bar? Made me so mad. I'm like, are you going to eat that baby Ruth? Yeah, I'm going to eat that baby Ruth. When? And that candy bar sat in there and sat in there. I said, well, where are you waiting? He said, I, he'd say things like, well, you know, I'm saving it because we never know when we'll ever get another baby Ruth candy bar. I remember this. So after a few weeks, I'm telling you, you got to know my brother. He's an accountant. Everything is minus plus. If he's got a plus, he's hanging on to it because he don't want it to be a minus. And so after a few weeks, I thought that baby Ruth candy bar is still in his, in his shoebox. I said, I'm tired of that baby Ruth candy bar sitting in that shoebox. I went and opened that shoebox, and I ate his baby Ruth candy bar. And I opened that thing up, and I took a bite. And I'm like, ah, oh, this thing is stale. This thing, oh, my God. It wasn't no good anyway. Why? Because he held on it too long. And what happens is when you have a selfish people and a selfish church that refuses to release generosity into the community, everything you have will become eaten by moths and will become stale. But if we be a church that lives in generosity with joy and meets the need of a community, we will continue to flow. God will give us more. He'll give us more. He'll give us more. We have to be generous. Number four, this is one of the most important. We have to have evangelism with urgency. Let me say it again, evangelism with emergency. Evangelism with urgency. You say, well, what are you talking about? A willingness to take the gospel wherever it needs to go and however it needs to go. How do you do that? We do that in two ways. One is there has to be a theological urgency. And you say, well, oh my God, you're going to come with my... No, let me just give you some theology. Let me tell you what makes evangelism so urgent. Because there is a heaven and there is a hell. That is theological. There is a heaven and there is a hell. Not everybody goes to heaven. I know, I'm breaking, I'm tearing some of y'all's theology down. Not everybody goes to heaven. There has to be... Listen, the reason we have set back and been lax. And in our evangelism, it's because we have lost the urgency of what it is for a man to die in sin. We have been told that everybody's saved, everybody goes home, everybody goes just like all dogs do. Well, I'm here to tell you that there are some people, if you don't share the gospel with them, they're going to die in their sin. And if they die in their sin, they will split hell wide open. And we've lost the urgency of the gospel. And it's not lit a fire in us because we've listened to preachers who will not preach Jesus and the salvation power of the gospel. How do we build committed people? You build committed people by an urgency of the gospel. Theologically, but also scripturally. Matthew 28, 19 says, There go forth and make disciples of all nations baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all things as I have taught you. Is that not an urgency? Acts 1.8, the accordance of Christ says to those who are there that when power comes upon you, you shall be my witnesses. Listen to me. 
There's a, there is a gospel urgency. There's an evangelistic urgency that's got to come into the body of Christ. My God, help us this morning. Let that fire back in you that understands what it means to be saved and means to be born again. Is your neighbor saved? Why haven't you shared the gospel with them? How about your family? How about who you work with? Well, you're being hard, Pastor. Don't be so mean. No, I'm telling you. The reason we're able to sit in the pew and not, not commit to anything is because we've lost the urgency of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Do you not know there is a world that is dying? Help us, Jesus, this morning. Help us this morning to, to know and feel the urgency. And that you shall be my witnesses. It doesn't say that you shall be my gossipers, my criticizers, my complainers. It doesn't say that you're to be prideful or haughty. That you are to judge or that you're to bring judgment. It's funny how people like to judge people, but they don't like themselves to be judged. I want to tell you, if we remove all of that and put an urgency into the gospel and understand that Jesus wants us to be his witnesses into the world, there will be an urgency of evangelism that comes into the body that will make the body of Christ more committed to the mission of living on mission, to be committed to Christ. Matthew chapter 7 in the, in the Mount Sermon on the Mount, the Bible said this, it said that when Jesus those who came and stood before Jesus, they said, didn't we? Didn't we do this? Didn't we do that? Didn't we do that? Didn't we do that? And Jesus said, I do not know who you are. Depart from me. In other words, what Jesus is saying, there are those who say, didn't we? But then there's those who have been redeemed who say, didn't he? We got to stop saying, didn't we? And put in our righteousness on our own self and say, didn't he deliver me? Didn't he save me? Didn't he bring life into me? Didn't he heal me? Didn't he do the work in my life? There are people who can be in church but not of the church. There can people that can be in church but not of the church. Number four, number five, we have to pray with persistence. There has to be an intercession. We have to learn to pray as the body of Christ. We have to be prayed up when we come into service so that we can hear, see, and serve. We produce committed people by, 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 by understanding that when we come into this house, we have to believe that God will do what he said he will do. We have to be prayed up when we come in, and we have to know what it's like to pray in intercession and seek God. We have to pray with persistence. Committed people pray with persistence. We have to exalt a, a, a intercession and be prayed up. I'm telling you, listen, you know how this played up. The Lord soaked to me this week in fasting. The Bible said Cornelius was in his house and he was praying and fasting. And the Bible said that as he was praying and fasting, there was a man across town named Peter who went up on the roof to have lunch. 
And when he got up on the roof, he had an open vision, and God showed him a sheet. And in the sheet was these animals, and God showed him that these animals that were once unclean were now clean. And the Bible spoke to Carneas, who was on the other side of town, who was fasting and praying. He said, send a servant. And when you send a servant there, there will be a man named Peter who will come to you. Now think about this. Two men are praying. One is praying for an answer, and one is praying, and God's going to make him the answer. You hear what I'm saying? And a man showed up and took Peter to Cornelius. And when he took him to Cornelius, all of a sudden the Spirit of God fell upon the Gentiles in Acts chapter 10. And because there was a man that was seeking God to be an answer, there was a man that was seeking God for an answer. And God allowed their lives to intersect because they both were praying and seeking God. Are you all with me this morning? You need to pray because God may want you to be the answer to somebody's prayer who's over here who's asking God for an answer. (laughs) Woo! Come on. Come into this house and you're an answer to prayer. You come into this house and you pray for somebody. And if you're full of the Holy Ghost, you, you help transform and answer a prayer that is in their life. But if you don't pray, you can't hear, you can't see. You can't do, you can't go. But we become committed people when we pray. I know my time is short. I can't get any further. Adam, would you come? I'm going to finish this tonight. It's got to be finished. Living on mission, number one, God wants us to be committed people who are committed to God. God wants to produce committed people. I want to tell you something. Let me tell you what happens. People come into the church and they volunteer to do something, but they never stick to it. They halfway do it. They do it without excellence. And we at the church, we say, oh, that's okay. Better luck next time. No, I'm going to tell you, it's not okay. It's not okay because we should do everything we do unto the Lord. Because if anybody deserves our excellence and commitments, it's Christ. You can do that with your family. You can do that with the world. But I want to tell you, we should, there should be an urgency in us to be committed to the things that God asks us to be committed to. And we need to start building some committed people around here. Our mission in 2020 is to build committed people. We don't want half in and half out. We don't want sometimes. We want all the time. I want you to be committed. I want you to be committed to God. I want you to be committed to Him in every way. He wants you to be committed. Because the truth is, when Mr. and Mrs. River Valley comes in here to, men, to, to, to be a part of this body, there should be a demand on this body that everybody that comes to this house has to be committed to the things of God. Okay, y'all, not hearing me. I'm here to tell you that things change, and if things are going to be what God wants them to be, if 2020, if we want to be, if we, we have to first be rooted before we can grow upward. We have to first be rooted before we can go anywhere. We have to first be rooted, committed, before we can do anything. God is not going to give us the city until first we're committed. No, and that includes me. Don't worry, that includes me. You commit to children's church, commit to children's church. Show up when you're supposed to be there. Do what you're asked to do. 
And if it's something that God leads you out of, you do it right. You give them time. You tell them that you're, you can't do it anymore. And you give them time to get someone else. You help them to get someone else. You're committed to do something, you do it. You show up. Let me tell you, being committed is being here at church. Being here on time. Being here on Thursday nights. And being here on Sunday. Visitors walking into a house on Thursday night, and there's 25 people here at a church that, that has over 200 in it. Now look, I know, you're going to get mad at me because, well, he knows, I, we're in, I, I work all week. I know you do. And I got them crazy kids. You made them crazy. Hey, let me tell you, let me give you an answer to some of them. You can borrow it. You can borrow it. That's what they need. Johnny didn't want to come. Johnny didn't want to come. Johnny's not going to learn commitment by doing what Johnny wants to do. He has to be trained and shown and loved and made to do. He has to be shown how to do it right and the right way to do it. Because I tell you what, if mom and dad don't do it right, you think Johnny's going to grow up and do it right? Let me tell you what some, I'm just going, I'm a preacher, man. I'm, you know why? I know, I can't get it off. I'm sorry. I got a tail. I can't. I got my mic on. No, but let me tell you what parents do. You'll lie right there in front of your kids. You'll say things like, I can't make it tonight because I'm sick. And Johnny's looking at you like, Mama, you're not sick. And you know what? Johnny feels like he can do the same thing. Because Mama and Daddy are not committed and show commitment. I don't have to be committed. I'm just talking. But I'm here to tell you that in 2020, before we can be rooted downward and go upward, we have to realize that we have to become a remnant that's willing to be a disciple. Elisha decided he was going to be a disciple. All the sons of the prophets in Gilgal, Bethel, and in all the other cities did not move from where they were. You know why? Because they weren't willing to pay the price that Elisha was willing. Elisha went and washed the feet of Elijah for 12 years. He was committed. That's why when he took the mantle that fell on him, he was able to walk to the Jordan and hit the Jordan and said, Where is the God? of Elijah. Why? Because he was committed. He was committed. Stand with me. I want all of the guys, the men to come. I just need some guys to come and grab these communion nodes and just stretch off across the front of the aisle here. I know it's out of order and it's messing everybody up. I've already done that today. How many preachers you know have a tail? Sorry, y'all. Didn't mean to do that. But if you need to borrow it, and if some of you don't start using it, I think I am. Oh, man. 
Truth without transformation. We build committed people by truth without trans- with transformation. We build committed people by relationships with transparency and authenticity. We build committed people by generosity with joy. I mean, sometimes we got to give till we can't give no more. We got to give until it's all gone. A poverty spirit hoards. Listen to me, a poverty spirit hoards. I'm not talking about not being responsible. There's a difference between responsibility and having a poverty spirit. I want to tell you, there are churches that got 10 people in it this morning, but they got $200,000 in the bank. But we're just waiting for God to tell us what to do with it. You know, there's a church in North North Vernon that's got a $19 million endowment. They got 30 people to go to church there. They got a $19 million endowment. And the only thing they're allowed to use the money to is to fix the building. Are you kidding me? Are you kidding me? You know what I could do with $19 million? You know, do you know what we could do with $19 million? Every one of y'all would be on the mission field doing something. My God, my God, my God. God help us be committed people. To live on mission in 2020, to reach all, to teach the disciple and to send all. To live on mission means we want to produce committed people to God. I'm calling you to commitment this morning. I'm calling you to evangelism with urgency. And I'm calling you to a place to where you therefore go and make disciples, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all things as I have taught you. To be witnesses full of the Holy Ghost. To be those who don't say, didn't we, but say, didn't he? This is a communion for those who want to be committed this morning. You say, well, what am I committing to? Well, I'm going to tell you later, but you need to commit first. What I want you to do, if you want to be committed and you're willing to be committed to this church and be committed to God and be committed to helping others be committed by observing truth or transformation, relationships with authenticity, willingness to evangelism with urgency, generosity with joy. Dear God, help us. I want you to come out of your seat and come down here and say, I'm willing to pray with persistence. I'm willing to be committed, Pastor. I want you to come and grab these emblems and take them back to your seat. That day in September when I opened that book and began to read that book again, I'm going to share the rest of the story. Dan Betzer said he came to the place where things were so bad after he got that letter back from Leonard Ravenhill. He began to ask himself those three questions that I asked at the beginning of service. He said, I, got, I was sitting there and I was wanting to quit. You ever been to a place where you wanted to quit? I'm just telling you, I'm just going to be transparent with you this morning. Back in September and October, I wanted to quit. I just wanted to quit. I just wanted to just quit. 
I'm just being trapped. I'm just telling you, Mom. I say, God, some of this stuff that's going on is just too much. And Dan said the Lord spoke to him. And he said what he began to do, he began to live his life with a mission. He said the first thing I did was I had a missions conference. And I began to give away. And I began to serve. And I began to make a commitment to God that I would live my life as a mission. And I began to support my community and begin to touch missionaries. I began to become a mission church, a church that was willing to do whatever it takes that the gospel would get around the world. And today that church is probably one of the greatest mission churches in the world. And he said, when I began to live with a mission, God began to give me my strength back. And I'm telling you in 2020, I'm living in mission because I want my strength back. I want my edge back. I want to be committed. I'm committed. I'm committed. Some days you may not feel like you can be, but I'm committed. I'm going to be committed. God reminded me you have no choice. God said to me, he said, where are you going to go? I'll sell cars. Really? That's not what I told you to do. That's not what I called you to do. And I became my own self-martyr. Like I'm the only one that's ever suffered in ministry or ever had a bad day. I'm telling you, a month ago, 100 missionaries lost their head. And I had a bad day. I don't know about you, but let's be committed this morning. Let's be committed. Father, this bread is a representation of your body. And everyone that holds it in its hand today has made a commitment to you. This is a communion among God's people and among God's church. We're together. We're one body. We will be committed to one another. We will hold each other accountable and amenable. We will hold each other to a place to where we no longer will accept non-excellence. We will demand excellence in our lives. We will demand excellence in this church, and we will demand it from everybody who serves. It doesn't mean we're perfect. It just means we have a desire to be more committed than we've ever been. 2020 will be the year that this church becomes more committed than it's ever been to one another. We will love one another. This broken body, this bread represents your love for us. We will love one another. We are going to be a loving church. We're going to love one another. We're not going to criticize one another. We're not going to tear one another down. We're going to lift one another up. We're going to be there for one another. We are not going, we're going to be a loving body that's committed to one another. And this is your body that was broken for us. Let's break and partake of the bread. Nothing represents commitment more then the Bible says that Jesus was obedient even unto the cross. It was the sacrifice of his blood that showed the greatest commitment. He laid in the garden and said, Lord, not my will, but your will be done. He sweat drops of blood. 
in that garden, he was fully committed and fully committed to the cross. And from the next day on, for the next days, he was led to the cross. He was led to Calvary. He was led there, died there, bled there for us. His blood was shed and was committed to the cross. But not only was he committed to the cross, he was committed and he died and he rose again, committed again to send us a comforter that would strengthen and lead and guide us. So, Lord, this cup represents Christ's commitment to us through the shedding of his blood. Let's partake the cup. Can you begin to thank him this morning? Can you begin to thank him? Just lift your hands to the Lord. Lord, we thank you this morning. We praise you this morning. And, Lord, as we dismiss this morning, we pray that we have learned to become committed people. That we've become, learned to be men and women who are committed to the gospel. And we have learned that our commitment will change. Our commitment will help us be rooted. And our commitment will help us grow upward. Because we, on this day forward, have become people that are committed to you. We will produce committed people in this church. When we leave this morning, we know that we belong big to something that is bigger than ourselves. We pray this prayer in Jesus' name. And everyone said... Amen. Come on, would you give the Lord a clap offering this morning? Thank you for giving me an extra 10 minutes this morning. Listen to me. Listen before you dismiss. I want you to be back here tonight. I I need to finish this message. I need to finish it. And I want you to be back to hear it. If you're a member, I want you to be back to hear it tonight. I've got to finish this. Because the best is yet to come. I've just scratched the surface of what I feel God is saying. You're leaving as committed people, but tonight when you leave, you're going to be full. You're going to be full. This house is going to be full. You're going to be be commissioned tonight. Hallelujah. God bless you. You've got to hug everybody you see before you leave. In Jesus' name. God bless you. See you tonight. Thank you for joining us for River Valley Community Church's podcast. If you feel led to give, you can click on the donation link in the description or visit our website at rivervalleymadison.com. If you've enjoyed the podcast, you can subscribe or share with your friends. Thanks again for listening. God bless you.